Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Minute where once again we're shown why it's never a good idea to play chicken with a trailer truck in Mad Max to the Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 89, which begins with the Humongous speeding furiously towards the rig, and it ends with the rig and the tanker just wrecked on the side of the road. Our first shot today is Humongous just rocketing along the road with flames shooting from his exhaust pipes, just burning up the road. <laughs> <laughs> in fact the first thing we hear this minute is the squealing of his tires and a lot of that engine noise it's very loud and very boisterous i think that this is reiterating to us that humongous is reacting emotionally he is now angry and worked up and irrational to the point where he doesn't think about what he's doing he just mm -hmm. flies forward as fast as he possibly can and it you know it's his downfall nothing damages a man's pride quite like having a molotov cocktail thrown in his lap yeah he burned up his fur vest mm -hmm. that's never cool no i imagine it's pretty tricky to find a fur vest of that quality and in his size no less Hmm. I don't know. It's probably just camel. <laughs> In stark contrast to all of the engine noise that we hear with the Lord Humongous, we switch over to the feral child who is sitting out on the hood of the Mac, or I guess the bonnet, if you want to call it that. But he's out there with the express purpose of getting the shell that's bouncing off by the edge there. And we've gone from this super loud engine noise to a much more muted wind and machine rattling noise punctuated by this very steady, loud heartbeat. I think this is another time where our breakdown minute by minute does this moment a bit of a disservice. Really? To us, it sounds kind of odd. But if you've just been watching the movie as normal, there's been so much ruckus for so long. And then all of a sudden, we go quiet. I think it's more impactful when you've listened to the whole thing all the way through, rather than the way we listen to it, which is relatively isolated. Mm. It's still very impactful, though. It's also very isolating. We've got all of this commotion that you were talking about happening. We've got the raiders behind the tanker. We've got Lord Humongous in front of the tanker. We've got his cadre somewhere else. There's a lot of action, and by taking away all of the sound and focusing on that one heartbeat, it's really narrowing our focus narratively we're now focused a hundred percent on the feral child ignoring everything else around him it's an interesting choice i think because amidst all of the noise and the shouting and the shooting and the people crashing left and right suddenly we're in this very quiet relatively situation and it's just eerie more than anything almost unnerving I think you're right. It is unnerving. It draws our focus so specifically onto the feral child. And it communicates to us that this moment is pivotal. That nothing else matters anymore. This moment is going to either make or break the situation one way or the other. And it's interesting because that is true. 
but not in the way you think. Hearing you say that, it makes me wonder, and I know we talked the other day about what's the point of Max having a single shell in the shotgun, and I feel like that question begs asking again, because you're right, everything is boiling down to this one moment, this final interaction that we're going to have between Max the feral child and forces outside of the cab. (laughs) I don't want to show my hand too close. Everybody knows what happens, but, you know, we're getting to it. But what good would that single shotgun shell do at this point? He'd be able to kill one more raider, but after that, they'd be right back in the thick of it. In the grand scheme of things, in Max's plan from behind the wheel, I think he's sending the feral child out because he wants that shotgun shell. He doesn't want to be unarmed. He wants to be able to fight back. And Max isn't planning on ending this minute the way it ends. He's planning on driving back the way he came and forcing his way back through the raiders. And he's just going to, I think, rinse and repeat until he just manages to take out all the raiders. Or he runs out of gas, whichever one comes first. Mm -hmm. So the way things shake out is just kind of a fluke. Yeah, definitely. The way things shake out is definitely a (laughs) fluke. Yeah, it's interesting how just laser focused we get on this one moment of the feral child getting the shell. And it's not just that they take away the sound. I mean, we see multiple shots. We get shot of the shell close up on the feral child looking at the shell, see the feral child again. And he's just hanging out there in the wind and he's getting closer and closer and closer as we switch back and forth between these shots. And finally, I say finally, but he reaches the shotgun shell in like the 10th second, and he starts pawing at it a little bit with his fingers. He can't quite get his hand on it. And before the feral child can actually get a good grip on that shell, Wes pops up. Always makes me think of the scene from Mulan where the Mongolians pop out of the snow like daisies. Always makes me think of that. Mm -hmm. He just pops out of nowhere. Which, as we have discussed, he was not on the front of that truck. Right. We got really good looks at the front of that truck, and he was not there. So I don't know where the heck he came from. I'm still holding on to my Indiana Jones hanging to the other (laughs) side of the truck idea. Considering the condition that Wes is in, that is entirely possible. Mm -hmm. I think you said you slowed it down, and you could see that like he's missing like an entire half of his face kind of thing. When I slowed down the shot... Because he pops up and then he has a second shot where he also pops up. But we get some really good looks at his face slowed down or even just watching it normal. And yeah, his face is all covered in blood. But yeah, the whole side of his head, the right side specifically, it almost looks to me like the top layer of skin was just road burned away. Oh. As if he went down over the front of that truck. And I know I'm repeating what I said the other day, but went on over the front of that truck, grabbed onto the cow catcher in such a way that he was able to keep himself from getting sucked under the tires, but still was more or less under that truck for a moment or two, at least long enough for us to not see him in the wide shot, which that's just continuity error. Bearclaw Mohawk and Wes not being visible in the wide shot. Right. I guess it is technically classified as a continuity error, but it's not an error. It was done on purpose. When they're doing a a big stunt like that, and I know it's just a a truck turning, but anytime you can get the actors out of there when you're using vehicles, you do. So, of course, they weren't going to be in that shot. So it wasn't an error, but it was a continuity thing. But back to the minute. Wes pops up, grabs the feral child's hand, and immediately I have questions. Okay. Did he grab the feral child's hand on purpose? 
How did he know where the feral child's hand was? Or was that just a coincidence? Oh, I think it was complete coincidence. Okay, so you I think, think he just hopped up and grabbed onto the first thing he found. I don't think he was aiming for the feral child because he was down below the edge of the cow catcher there. Right. Like, he would have no idea that the feral child was even out there. Mm -hmm. So, from Wes's point of view, I really like his plan. So, he's regained the front of the cow catcher and is ready to make his move. And his plan is to just jump up towards the hood area as, as best he can and just yell at Max. That's, that is a very Wes plan. Mm -hmm. But instead of just shouting across the bonnet to Max, he finds the feral child right in his way. And when that hand comes up, it clamps down on the hood and the feral child's arm is there. So he's able to grab onto the boy. But when he pops up, he's just, there's so much screaming. And it starts at second 12. That's when the screaming begins. Uh-huh. The screaming is going to continue for not the majority of this minute, to be sure. <laughs> It's not even a whole quarter of a minute, but it feels so much longer. And the first scream that we hear is definitely not Wes. It's got to be from the feral child because it reaches a pitch that I don't think Vernon Wells could ever reach no matter how hard he tried. I think I have no choice but to agree with you. We've never heard a sound like that come out of the feral child. All his grunting and yelling beforehand have all been low pitched. Mm. It's just not characteristic. Yeah. But, you know, a child screaming is a child screaming. Exactly. My thoughts exactly. Because the difference between screaming and yelling. And I made several passes listening to the screaming to kind of see who it was attributed to. And the feral child starts off with that initial scream and then it trails off and it starts to deepen as he trails along. But then he goes in for another scream and it starts back up at that high pitch. Ah, so, okay. Typical child behavior, just screaming. I don't know what it is with kids, but they just love to scream. Wow. You would scream too if a bloody, big, scary man popped up in front of you on a speeding truck and grabbed your hand. Oh, I'm not talking about situations like this. I'm talking about walking by a public park with a playground or a schoolyard or any gathering of three or more children. They just love to scream. And... Yeah. Oh, it's Because they haven't learned awful. to be embarrassed by themselves yet. Oh, it's just... Oh, it's so loud and shrill and... Ugh. It's awful. Like one of the worst sounds ever. Wow. Come on, Rick. Tell us how you really feel about kids. Anyway, <laughs> this screaming, as I mentioned, continues through shots of Wes, shots of the feral child, more shots of Wes. When we go back into the cab, we still hear the screaming. It just permeates everything in the next 12, 13 seconds or so. <laughs> I think the screaming is very effective. It really communicates to us, like, how people feel about what is going on right now. Like, the, <laughs> the sense of surprise and fright and all that kind of stuff. I think it goes on a little comically long. Mm. Not sure. <laughs> I do have ideas about the yelling that I'm going to bring up in a few minutes when we get a little further down in the story. Okay. I have some comparisons to draw. Gotcha. I mentioned going back into the cab and continuing to hear the screaming. We're going back into the cab because Max is sitting there behind the wheel of the truck and he sees that Wes has made a reappearance and that Wes is grabbing at the feral child. And so Max being the kind of guy that he is, he wants to make sure that he can grab a hold of the feral child and keep him from being, I'm guessing, 
thrown from the truck by Wes. Oh, yeah. And given the first opportunity, Wes would just grab the feral child and just whip him off to one side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would actually be very easy. I'm surprised he didn't actually do it. Max is, of course, being held back by Bearclaw Mohawk's gauntlet which is embedded in his shoulder, and he does a maneuver where he tries to reach forward. He's held back by the gauntlet. He slips around it somehow, and by slipping around it, it gashes up his shoulder, but he's finally free of it. Yes, I like that they showed this moment. For the last few minutes, as Max has been pinned by the bear claw, it hasn't always been clear this is like a serious problem. Mm -hmm. So seeing those gashes in his shoulder as he rips it away, yeah, he really was quite literally pinned to the back of the cab by that gauntlet. And it was a big problem. And what's the condition of Bear Claw right now? You know, I was wondering the same thing because he seemed to go limp Mm -hmm. after the portion where the feral child was beating on his hand with the shotgun. Yes. As he was hanging off that back window. And it's not the first time in this scene that Bearclaw has just disappeared for a moment. Yeah. And just, yeah, gone limp. I wonder, maybe we missed something. Maybe the feral child swung the shotgun and hit Bearclaw Mohawk in the face. And since he wasn't wearing a mask or anything like that, it knocked him knocked out. Him out. I, it doesn't seem likely, but it does seem the only reasonable explanation. Right. It does seem like Bearclaw's only active in the scene when they particularly need him to be. Yeah. Otherwise, he's just a body Hmm. he's just a claw a claw that max is no longer being held back by no and so he's able to lurch forward and grab the feral child by the leg and that begins the tug of war this tug of war is so fantastic i love it i think metaphorically it's much more important than it is literally Mm -hmm. metaphorically we've talked before about the two different life paths that the feral child could potentially go down. He could either be a Wes or he can either be a Max. We see lots of parallels in the feral child with both those two characters. So it's like this final battle of Wes versus Max. Which way is the feral child going to go? Mm. And that's where I want to bring in the yelling again. When Wes and the feral child were just yelling in each other's faces, feral child was mimicking Wes, was metaphorically going down that Wes path instead of all the time that he has spent in the cab with Max going down the Max path. So he's being pulled in both directions. Mm -hmm. And by the end of this little tug of war, Max wins. And that's cutting to the end of the movie. That's the type of person that Feral Child ends up being. Yeah. I definitely think we need to take another look at who the Feral Child ends up being. We'll do that later on next week. Yeah. We got our analytic episode where we're going to talk about characters as a whole and whatnot. But focusing more in on this minute, I saw his screams not so much mimicking Wes, but screaming in defiance of Wes. Because the expression that I saw on his face was, you know, you're an enemy, you're a bad person, I reject you and your ways. I agree with the sentiment, and I'm going to turn it back around on you. Wes often screams in defiance. When he saw Max from afar, way back in the beginning, he screamed at him then. Mm-hmm. When he escaped the compound after infiltrating it, he screamed then. He screams often in defiance. And that's a behavior Max never, ever does. 
Yeah. Even when it's warranted. Yeah, Max doesn't scream. Yeah, even when all hell is breaking loose, Max barely reacts. Huh. The most reaction that we have seen out of him, perhaps for this entire movie, was the reaction when he pulled that bear claw off of his shoulder. Uh, You could see the pain in his face. Huh. So I agree that it was a yell of defiance. But I also think in that defiance is a mimicry of Wes. It's holding your emotions out on your sleeve like Wes does. You know exactly how Wes is feeling and what he's thinking, which is completely opposite of Max. You have no earthly idea. Hmm. The shots continue to bounce back and forth between Wes and the feral child. And we eventually land on a shot where Wes has got a hold of the shotgun that the feral child is holding. And while I'm sure that Wes didn't plan on grabbing the feral child from the get-go, based on where he was sitting, I'm sure that as soon as he popped up, saw the feral child, and saw the shotgun, that he made it a priority for him to get a hold of the gun. Yeah, this whole setup was incredibly lucky for Wes. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it didn't work out for him is no fault of his plan or his actions. Right. His failure had nothing to do with himself. I am looking at Wes, and he's pinching the end of the shotgun he doesn't have as solid of a grip on it as the feral child because the feral child has the handle and the handle is meant to be held right but by the end of this minute when the feral child stops screaming finally when he notices something is up he lets go of the shotgun and wes has the shotgun and the fate of the shell is not disclosed we don't know if it rolls off to the side in the scuffle we don't know if the feral child or wes have it but wes has the gun and i bet when wes saw it he thought oh if i can get that gun and i can find a shell because there might be one out here i don't know i don't know how aware he is of why the feral child was out there he could have heard max shouting about the shell i don't know because it was very windy and wes was probably crawling out from underneath the truck who knows but wes was probably thinking "Ooh, gun and then gun might be loaded he could use the gun on max he could stop the rig and then be you know top war dog and everybody loves wes type of thing yeah which is an excellent plan and very well could have worked out for him Mm -hmm. a quick question that i don't know why we didn't ask yesterday why did the feral child take the gun out there with him? He doesn't know how to load the gun. He doesn't know how to shoot the gun. Mm-hmm. If anything, it slowed him down because it was something big and cumbersome that he had to carry. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe just because he's an eight-year-old and he, he likes to hold on to things. Right. He had it in his hand, so he's going to keep it in his hand. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Nope. Because as they are speeding along the road and we get a nice rig POV shot, we crest a rise in the road and suddenly the Lord Homo appears he's been speeding along at top speed ever since the beginning of this minute so he is right on top of us and it's just a good example of how uneven undulating roads can be very dangerous this is not the first time we've seen this yes we saw this in the first movie where the truck just came out from behind a hill Mm-hmm. and was suddenly on top of everyone. It's one of those things people think, oh, it's the outback, it's wide open, there's nothing for me to hit. And it's like, well... That's not quite true. Not quite true at all. Yet another crash that would have been prevented if everybody was driving on the correct side of the road. Instead of right down the middle. Instead of right down the middle. <laughs> Familiar with this song and dance, Max sees the humongous approaching as well, and he pulls a bit harder on the feral child's leg. And I think... Wes lets go of the feral child because he has a hold of the gun and the feral child lets go of the gun. And so he thinks, okay, gun more important than kid. 
That's why I think Max wins this tug of war. Okay, I was definitely wondering about that. It seemed a little sudden that Max all of a sudden was able to pull the kid inside. Mm -hmm. But his action of doing so, partnering with the feral child, stopped screaming, tips Wes off that there's something to look at behind him. (laughs) So as Max gets the feral child into the cab once again, Wes, who grabbed the shotgun with his left and then now has it in his right hand, he turns around to look behind him, following the gaze of Max and the feral child. And wouldn't you know it, there's Lord Humongous on his truck, and he is speeding straight for the rig. We get a nice close-up of Humongous, and he's just driving angry. And poor Wes. He raises his hand, and he (laughs) screams, just hoping against hope that Humongous will see him and not plow straight into the rig. But unfortunately, that is exactly what happens. And we get the most stupendous and amazing crash of this whole movie. Yeah, this is really the iconic crash of this movie, certainly. And before Fury Road came along, this was the iconic crash of the entire series. Mm -hmm. Of course, Fury Road kind of one-upped them, kind of in everything. But this crash is still pretty spectacular and has some very interesting and compelling stories behind it. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot of planning. This type of stunt is extremely dangerous just because of the size of vehicle involved. Because you've had vehicles crash into each other before. They ran over a motorcycle with just some guy's truck in the last movie. (laughs) And they didn't even use a professional driver, I don't think. I think they just had the guy who owned the truck drive over the motorcycle and that's it. But here... Still can't believe that he let them do that. Mm -hmm. But here, the truck is going to smash into the Lord Mungus, obliterate that vehicle, and then go off the road and roll. Extremely dangerous. Apparently, it had never been attempted before. MadMaxMovies.com has an amazing page with shot order pages and on-set photos and screenshots It's an amazing page, so I'm getting a lot of my information from there. You should link to that page on the the listeners. I definitely can. So there was a bit of a question as they were setting up whether they wanted to just let the truck roll on its own or if they wanted to have a driver in it, and they eventually settled on having stuntman Dennis Williams drive. That way, the crash would go more predictably. When you take an empty truck and just start barreling it down the road. So many things could go wrong. So many little tweaks just could get pushed out of whack that you just don't want to leave that to chance. So as they were filming it, the initial hit, the destruction of Humongous's truck went perfectly. You can notice as you're watching it that it was that setup where Humongous's vehicle was stationary and the truck was the thing that was moving. Mm. And then after they obliterate the truck, if you're watching the minute, around second 35, you can see Dennis Williams' helmet popping up in the profile of the truck window. And then, of course, he goes off the road. And it's more the embankment along the road that causes the truck to flip than anything else. The truck is traveling at such high speed that when the ground drops out from underneath it, it's got nowhere to go but over. I did wonder if the road had been more level on either side, if the rig could have survived this ordeal. I think the answer is yes, because this isn't the first time he's hit a car straight on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he hit the Red Falcon Mm -hmm. a while back. I think the main thing that was the undoing of the 
tanker was the fact that they were right in front of a curve in the road so that way if max didn't react by turning the wheel that they would have gone off the road anyway and the fact that there was such an embankment i would like to think that if they did this on a straightaway road without the hills or anything like that that max would have been able to plow right through humongous and keep going mm-hmm. it's funny because that type of road is what we've been on for quite some time mm-hmm. people especially the buggies have been going on and off and on and off the road at will and even the truck went off the road to do its big turnaround with mm-hmm. no problems at all they just caught it at just the wrong place yeah the rig goes over onto its side it kicks up a lot of dirt and it slides to a stop and the last thing we see this minute is a fade to several raiders these are the guys in the snake truck and there's a buggy and a couple of motorcycles they stop up on the hill overlooking the debris field where the humongous used to be and in the distance you can see the tanker rolled over but they just roll up and come to a stop and that's where we end for today I have some thoughts about this scene, but it can also be used in minute 90, so I'll let it go to minute 90. Right, we're going to need it. Yeah, yeah, not a lot happens in minute 90. Yeah. So with that, we are going to put a pin in this for today. We are going to come back tomorrow for our Friday episode, our minute 90, our hour and a half mark. And we're also going to have a couple of fun special guests for our Fresh Ice Friday, so we hope you'll come back for that. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 80 of the Road Warrior. We'll see you tomorrow.